It's time for the Charlotte FC podcast. Bienvenidos, bienvenuti. I am Nick Finelli, your host of the Charlotte FC podcast, where we interview the people and events surrounding Charlotte FC. Today, we have Sam Spencer, who covers football in Charlotte, writing for the QC Nerve and the Soccer Sheet. Sam's day job is that he is the communications director for U.S. House of Representatives Alma Adams. We discuss football in Charlotte and around the world, women's soccer, the Charlotte community, growing up in a house of sports writers, a little politics, and some other fascinating experiences in his life. Sam, welcome to the Charlotte FC podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Nick. Sure. So do me a favor and just introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, my my name is Sam Spencer. I live in Charlotte. I've uh, lived in Charlotte or Mecklenburg County since 1992, so off and on at least. So, so I'm sort of a lifer here. I am married to a absolutely wonderful, wonderful person named Rebecca. We have a dog, Willow. And I happen to, you know, like to go to Charlotte FC games. <laughs> cool. Did you did you enjoy the League's Cup? Oh, man. I, I think I enjoyed the, the League's Cup for a lot of reasons. And it was a really great opportunity for Charlotte FC. And I, I you know, I, I got to talk to Andrew Privet earlier today. I'm going to be talking to some other people who I thought really shine. But, you know, we saw such great performances from Andrew, from Nathan Byrne, from Christian Kalina, uh, you know, from so many other people on the team. Obviously, Patrick Ajimong was, mm-hmm. you know, a sort of a revelation in League's Cup. I think his League's Cup performance, even though it doesn't count towards MLS, I mean, for, for me, he's, if he can duplicate that for the last 11 games of the season, you know, he's he's a Rookie of the Year contender for me. Yeah, uh, it was just it was really good to see the team in form. And, you know, as, as Coach Latanzio said, when we spoke to him after the loss to Inter Miami, the scoreboard, you know, the 4-0 loss really didn't reflect the game that Charlotte played. They were, you know, neck and neck. And I, I think, you, you know, you change like Pat's shot. If that goes in, we could have gone to PKs. And with the way Christian Kalina has been playing in League's Cup, Right. I think anything was possible. So, but instead, you know, the soccer gods, <laughs> after giving us a lot of luck during League's Cup, soccer gods give us the soccer gods take it, it away. Was, it was not meant to be, but that's okay. It sets up two more matches to to see what we can do against that uh, Miami team. You talked about being on the Charlotte area for a while. So, your high school at North Mac. You went to nearby Davidson College, studied political science. Um, your your real career, where you chaired the Charlotte Planning Commission, you are an electoral college rep for North Carolina, and you're basically your full-time job is Toby Ziegler for, you're the communications uh, director for U.S. Congresswoman Alma Adams. So how did you get into soccer? 
Oh, see, the thing is, I've been into soccer a lot longer than I've been into politics. Um, I going all the way back to second or third grade, North Mac Youth Soccer Association. I played almost every season between second and and 10th grade, I believe. And unfortunately, you know, when I was a kid, I had asthma, I had allergies, Mm -hmm. I could you know, I never had the lungs to to be able to really be a competitor, but I always loved the game. And, uh, you know, when when Charlotte FC came around, it was just an opportunity to to really get back into it. Aside from being like a, you know, passive member of uh, Union Berlin and, right, <laughs> you know, obviously watching every Women's World Cup and Men's World Cup when I could. Yeah, so... Growing up, there's when there's not that much soccer around, there's not that much soccer on TV. Like, did you have things that you look forward to? Like, oh, I want to do something with soccer. Are you just like just a casual fan, but just entertained by it? Well, so 1992 was a, a really interesting year because that was when Davidson hosted the end sub the soccer final four. Oh, yeah, and. So it was a huge event. Uh, Rob Ucrop was Davidson's star. And of course, he's he's gone on to play professionally and is now, you know, CEO of the Richmond Kickers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a sort of like a soccer dynasty at Davidson that for a little bit there, they were really competing with the basketball team for, you know, what's going to be the best sport at Davidson. Right. Uh, then Steph Curry came along a decade later and, you know, the rest is history. But right. We, we really were a soccer power. So it was a big, it was a big part of our community and Davidson's the sort of place where everybody knows everybody. So Charlie Slagle, the coach, you know, I grew up with his kids. Uh, one of them was a year above me. One of them was the same year as me. And, you know, it's just, you not only are invested in the team, like you're invested in these individual people who, you know, really well. Wow. So Charlotte FC comes around, you say, I want to do soccersheet.com. Is that like, what is, what was your plan? Like, what were your thoughts for, for getting what you have going, which so, you can explain more about what soccersheet.com actually is too. Yeah. Well, so, so honestly, it, it happened as an accident. Uh, so a couple of years back, I started really getting into to soccer again. I, I wanted to and and I apologize to everybody who's used to me saying football, but since it's a Charlotte FC podcast, yeah, I'll say soccer. So you can say football. I don't care either way. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interchangeable for me, which frustrates anybody who edits me. Uh, so what ended up happening was I'd gotten into football again, and I I actually became a member of Union Berlin uh, because I when when they went up to the Bundesliga, it was, you know, it was inspiring to me Uh, and German's my second language. Mm -hmm. Uh, My family has sort of like a long storied connection with, with Germany. And there was something, you know, really cool about the club that uh, basically, you know, fought the Stasi. And, and some of those stories are a little, uh, you know, a a little hyped up, maybe a little exaggerated, but uh, you know, it, it was, it was definitely the the club for me, and and I think I chose right because you know the other Berlin club, Ertha, has you know just got relegated to Bundesliga too. Uh, so in the did middle you, of all that, did you? Uh, sorry to interrupt. Did you learn yeah. German at home? Did you speak it at home? You said it was kind of part of what your household was. Was that just German speaking part of what y'all did? 
so it was it was what I studied in in high school and college. It it is what a lot of my family spoke just because my family lived in Germany uh, back in the back in the sixties during the you know really the start of the Berlin Wall and and the divisions there. It's really also sort of fun because especially with my aunts and uncles we, we all speak german while my wife's around and she has no idea what we're saying so it, <laughs> it, it can be a lot of fun uh, but but so you know charlotte fc came and it's ironic in one way because uh, a, a couple friends and i had some thoughts and concerns about the original mls in clt bid and this was real it got delayed a year because of the pandemic but you know, it was a good entry point. Mm -hmm. And how the story goes is that I was actually a little frustrated. I was a little miffed because I was looking around talking with, you know, friends in the media, you know, big hitters around the town. And there's this general, you know, just indifference from non-traditional soccer corners to what was about to happen. It felt, you know, it's hard, it's hard to imagine this now, right? Because Charlotte FC has been a pretty big success, but right, you know, before it kicked off, there was a lot of skepticism and it wasn't automatically going to be a success. Nobody knew we were going to put over 70,000 people in the bank on the first night. Mm -hmm. So part of what I, what I wanted to write was, you know, I do so much work in my day job with all sorts of communities in Charlotte, I, you know, every part of Charlotte. Um, yeah. It's a common refrain that one in every five people in Charlotte uh, was born in another country. Mm -hmm. And so, so I, you know, wrote an article for Queen City Nerve uh, that was that was basically why I thought it was going to be a huge success talking to people, uh, you know, going to hooligans, going to bars, talking to people who are really invested in the future of soccer in Charlotte, and just making it clear that, you know, this isn't a blip. This is going to be something that's really transformative for the community. And, uh, you know, I turned in that piece, Ryan ran it and uh, Ryan's the editor of Queen City Nerve. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think like a couple of days later, he was like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to cover Charlotte FC for Queen City Nerve? I was like, sure. sure <laughs> and, I it. and the rest is history. Now, how did you get hooked up with Queen City Nerve prior? I mean, I know it's like an alternative paper, so they probably take submissions, but like, how did you know and be like, Oh, I just want to write about this. You know, I think it's often said that Charlotte is the smallest big city in the country. And so I, I've known Ryan forever. Um, I think as, as somebody who does communications for a living, I, you know, one of the things I have to be able to do is know everybody who has a paper or a camera right. in Charlotte. You know, that's that's sort of my job. So uh, <laughs> it ended up with Ryan by Kismet because I actually did shop it around to, to a couple other places where, where, who were like, this isn't the fit for us. But, you know try somebody else but i you know ryan was happy to run it and and from that point forward i was you know covering uh soccer for nerve wow that's neat so you just when you were writing that you just felt like i need to say this tell this story because people are not necessarily going to understand this unless i share this yeah and and you know you haven't seen a lot of the others because because we've had a lot of uh, media outlets pop up because of because of the team coming and right. we you know we absolutely had great people doing uh soccer work before you know i i think you can't forget people like steve goldberg and ashley mahoney who've been covering this in charlotte for a while right you you also have you know I, 
I don't know exactly when it started in the ledger, but around the same time, uh, Carol Walton uh, came mm-hmm. from the AJC and started working for the for the ledger to do their Football Friday. Right. Uh, we've had a lot of really great. Uh, you obviously, got to mention Top Bin ninety. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so many sources for information, but it, it, at the very least, you know, for people who I was speaking to, it it was like, uh, there's still a lot of there's still a lot of skepticism, and there's still. I, I just, uh, you know, I don't know what motivated me to write it, but it was, <laughs> no, it was like, you know, I, I, I love this. I love the sport. I, I love it so much more than uh, the other football. And I, I really want to want to talk about it and, and let people who don't know in Charlotte that there is a very vibrant, active football community in Charlotte that has existed long before David Tepper. Yeah. And I think your, your communications background and that kind of thinking probably contributed to that. They're like, hey, this this is a good story for everybody. This is a good thing for everybody. And this is why. And, you know, maybe maybe that's part of it. So what is your vision for, because, I mean, you write for the QC Nerd, but you also have SoccerSheet.com, which you post some articles, but then you also have the your social handles for those too. So what's what's your vision? What's your goal for this? I, you know, I wanted a place where I could talk about soccer more regularly because my, you know, nerve column is is every two weeks or so, and so I, I really wanted a place where if there was breaking news, I could I could break news. If I could, if there was something really cool or uh, a one on one interview with a player that I wanted to post, um, you know, I, I wanted to to be an outlet for that because I think one of the things that happens. I'm probably saying this too late in the podcast, but you know, I grew up in a family of sports writers. Both my parents are sports writers, and I have been covering NASCAR and golf and other sports for. I mean, my dad was at the Observer in the '70s. It's been a while. It's been a minute. So you are around this all the time. I've I've been around it. I've grown up around it. It's one of those things where there there's just always so much more to report and so much more content than you can put in one article. And, and I think, you know, that's one of the reasons Twitter's become so big for the media in general and social media has become so big because there's, you know, just constant information and it, it might be an overload at this point. Uh, I, I don't know how many times ESPN goes off on my phone every day and it, it, it might need to stop, but. Right. Right. Well, plus the news cycles are so short now. So Something hits, it's on there, and then you know, 20, 30 minutes later, it's another big story. It, yeah. it hardly kind of keeps feeding. So you got to keep feeding it in order to have your words out there. Yeah. And and there's you know, there's a lot of competition in the space. So part of it is is just can you uh, can you deliver a nugget of information? Because you know, a, a lot of people are going to watch a video, or they're going to wa- they're going to watch a TikTok, but they're they're not going to read a full article on on soccer. I do think it's sort of a lost art, but mm-hmm. uh, it's something you know because it's because it's a hobby and because it's not financially motivated. I have a little more freedom there, and and I can write longer form. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can write what you want. I can write what I want. So you know, if if there's a you know a, a story that that has been really big for me has been you know, how the, the club handled the Nuno Santos, Andre Shinyashiki scandal, right. uh, because it, it's, it's something that's incredibly hard to report on because you have to, you have to be clear that 
they're connected to the police report. They're not charged with anything, but the team doesn't, you know, never played them after that news report came out. Right. And, and actually had started, had, had stopped playing them before the news broke, to be clear. And then you have an entire dynamic of, you know, every MLS player is technically an MLS employee and right. not a team employee. And of course, every time we've asked either as nerve or as myself or a soccer sheet, every time we've asked MLS for any comment on the situation, I'm dead silence, not even a right. response. Like the only thing I've gotten back are auto responders. And the only thing you can ask Charlotte is you ask them and they're like, we did what we were supposed to do and we sent it to the league and then their hands are tied in some ways. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's an unfortunate place for Charlotte to be in there because I know that there's some there's some supporters who are really mad about how this all went down. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it is somewhere where I know the fan base prior to League's Cup was not giving that much sympathy uh, to the front office all the time. But that's I, I mean, it really was something that was out of their control and, and hard for them to deal with. Right. Um, and, that, and that's hard to explain, too. To someone, yeah. because you're not going to get that in the soundbite. They're not just going to say, "Sorry, hands off. We don't. We can't tell you anything." And then somebody goes ask MLS, and they're like saying nothing. So it's a tough and, and decision. It's, it's one of the reasons it's great. Like it's great we have reporters like Carol who can write that long form and can explain it, and has you know 25 years or more of, of sports journalism experience right. and and can you know get to the bottom of something like that. Uh, I, I think I mean she did a, an amazing job and. You know, it's unfortunate. It's terrible that this happened, but unfortunately, it's it's you know, the two biggest stories for Charlotte this year so far really have been, you know, right. tragedies. And yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed, right? There there could be a silver lining at the end of this. Don't don't want anything to come in threes on that one. <laughs> right. So, as you're choosing and preparing, like what you want to write about, and things like that. What do you do to kind of get yourself? in that space and and what was kind of the planning and your process for the, for these writings and posts or whatever you want to publish i have to set myself an internal deadline because i for the most part you know i don't have an, an editor i have ryan asking me for pieces right but I, I don't have an editor per se for soccer sheet or anything like that i'm the editor uh so i think i have to give myself an internal deadline and or else it won't get done and so a lot of the times that means i just I'm not going to sleep until I have the article done after a match and, you know, set my set soccer sheet to publish it at a random time the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really how you get in the mindset, because I think as supporters can relate to if you're watching a sporting event, you don't have the adrenaline that the people on the pitch have, but you still get, you know, that that adrenaline boost, that feeling of energy from it. And I really like to glide on that because it's hard to write about something that happened two days ago. It's a lot easier to write about something that happened two hours ago. Right. Right. It's fresh. And, you know, but what about your perspective? So, you know, lots of people can cover a match and talk about what happened. Do you kind of tend to go certain places when you're thinking about the the match and like reporting on it? Like are there certain areas you want to make sure you outline versus, you know, other medias? Yeah. One of the things is I, I know the audience for soccer sheet and the audience for Queen City Nerve are different things. So those typically are very different articles. The articles for for Queen City Nerve, I assume that somebody 
knows the basic rules of football and they know that uh, they know Leo Messi and they know Ronaldo and they might know Carol Swiderski, but it's, it's definitely written so that it's accessible for anybody in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas soccer sheet, I'm assuming, you know, what promotion and relegation is like, I'm assuming, you know, what, what a penalty kick is, or, you know, what a three point day means, uh, right. you know, just, just a and I still write it pretty broad. I don't want to write it at expert level because I do want it to be accessible. And I do want anybody to be able to read that if they have you know knowledge of, of the game. Because one of the things that I've learned from 20 years of doing communications is that if I'm in a room and I give a speech or I tell something to 20 people, 10 of those people are going to have completely different opinions or different interpretations, even if there's like small differences, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. going to have a different perspective. And then the other 10 people will have not really heard what I said, because they'll be on their phones. And that is like, that is the major challenge we have to deal with as, as communicators is that you have to have something that is engaging enough to talk to enough people, uh, because nothing that you write is ever going to talk to everybody. Yeah, that's true. So how do you how do you better your craft? Like, how do you, how do you get better at what you do? I mean, I would definitely say by, do, by doing it every day, I, I learn something new about soccer and it, it's just important to me, like as a writer, as a reporter, as, uh, as a fan of football, like I have to make sure that, that I am coming at the perspective that I can always learn something that, that I, there's somebody smarter than me. I really do try and take that approach when it comes to, for example, uh, Coach Latanzio, mm-hmm. because on the one hand, you know, the loudest voices in the fan base have been pretty frustrated at the coach for a while, for example. Right. And you see a lot of second guessing, a lot of, I would have done this, I would have done that. Right. And and that's with incomplete information. You know, that, that's with uh, not knowing how the players were performing in drills or, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. And, and so I, I do try and back off a little bit because as, as a reporter, I know that Christian Latanzio knows more about football than I ever will. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that's something that I have to be thinking about whenever I'm reporting, because I, I don't shy away from asking hard questions. I've definitely pissed off the coach before <laughs> in, yeah. in, in the press room, uh, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, fundamentally all of these people we're talking to, know more about football than, than we ever will, especially at the level that they're playing. Right. And so I'm more interested in understanding the decisions than criticizing them because I explaining like getting to the, to the nitty gritty of, of why somebody did something like, I don't want to give too much away for, for what I'm publishing with um, leagues cup, but, you know, talking to, to Andrew today, one of the most interesting things that he said um, you know, he was talking about how, you know, the, the difference defensively, you know, maybe one or two goals in that Miami game is just just the smallest split second decisions of where to place yourself and where to go uh, that, that you can only really comprehend if you're out there on the pitch. Right. And it's happening much faster than what we see. Like if you watch on TV, you're far away. You don't realize the pace and the the little minute things that change angles and all sorts of things. Yeah. I I mean, that's one of the things I loved about open cup at the sportsplex Mm -hmm. because you are, especially the media and photogs, 
you know, you're less than 10 yards from what's going on. There's no barrier in front of you. It is right there. It's immediate. It's in your face. And it really gives you an appreciation for, you know, what the boys are out there doing every day. Do you have a, like a signature style or way of writing that you kind of feel like you've developed? I have to be a hard editor on myself. You know, one of the hardest stories to write and one of the most important stories uh, was what I wrote after Anton's passing. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those, you know, I, I like, I remember exactly where I was when I, I saw the, the news on Twitter. It, it was just so shocking to me because last season, you know, I obviously didn't get to spend as much time with Anton as I, I wish I had, but right. uh, every time we interacted, uh, he was not only a great guy, but, uh, you know, really, really spoke to how much, how important the game was, you know, not just as a player, but as a vehicle to, for bringing people together. And, uh, you, you know, his, I just felt, his, yeah. I felt like he understood the big picture of it. Absolutely. And and that's something you get from experience. And that's something you get from, I, I think, having a, a level of maturity that not every person on the team is going to have. Yeah. You talk a lot about whenever somebody passes. In America, it's usually positive. In, in different countries, it's different. But the way we talk about uh, death and loss in America is is almost uniformly positive. And if it if it gets negative, it's in the service of humor, usually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and luckily, you know, for the team and his family, you know, Anton was, was one of those guys who really, you know, lives up to what everybody said uh, after he passed. And so, you know, I, I was uh, editing my piece and I had something in there that it went off on a tangent and it was really self-indulgent and I had to catch myself. I was like, you know what, this, this does not belong in this piece at all. Yeah. Um, and that's honestly tying into a lot of your questions, like how have you developed as a writer? How do you get better? You know, what's your style? I, I think it all sort of boils down to, you know, one of the things I've learned is, is that you can't have any ego in your writing. Um, it is not about you. People never want the reporter to be the story. They want to know what's going on with their team. Right. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit here to your day job. So why politics? You're a big soccer person. You grew up in this family of sports writers, and you're like, I'm going to get a degree in politics, and now I work in politics. Yeah, it it was a, it was an interesting life choice. Uh, <laughs> I, I think part of it was I ended up being, being somewhat good at it. But at the end of the day, if you're involved in the political process, you want the people who are involved to care about you know, justice, Liberty, you know, strong American concepts. And uh, honestly, I I chose that path because it's a place where uh, you start out thinking you can do a lot of good and you get to a point where you manage your expectations and you start fighting for some really important incremental change. And so one person alone isn't going to save the world, but, you know, some of the proudest work that I've done has been on things like historically black colleges universities and maternal health where i've you know i've gotten to translate all of this science and all of this sort of arcane legislative writing and boil it down to hey like here's some things that we're doing legislatively 
they're actually pretty bipartisan and uh, you know we're we're going to save the lives of mothers improve outcomes and really do some good if we can get this passed and we can get people together to get it passed that's, that's what's a big still impact. yeah yeah um, but but honestly uh, a big part of it was just uh i had a friend bill jackson and he's he is exactly 50 years my senior and we would go to the soda shop in Davidson and we we you know, every week or so we just sit and talk politics and he used to work in the Carter administration and uh, you know we just we just talked shop and what was going on in in the world and uh, you know he was a writer and at the time that I was senior in high school first couple of years of college, it was right in the middle of the buildup to the Iraq war and the global war on terror. Mm -hmm. And we would talk about everything surrounding that. Um, he did a lot of pieces on Judith Miller, the New York times. And so eventually it's, it's getting towards like the uh, spring of my sophomore year and it's time to apply to internships. Cause I sort of failed like the internship and summer job <laughs> after my freshman year. Yeah. I, I, I didn't fail the job. I just really failed to get one. And so Bill suggests that uh, there's the senator who's really interesting. He's the he's the ranking member on the Foreign Relations Committee. I think he'd be somebody fun for you to work with. Uh, you should put in an application. Uh, so I applied to be an intern uh, on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and be an intern in the senator's office. And in 2005 and you know lo and behold that senator is joe biden and uh, you know from that point from that point on it was like well i think i'm i'm stuck doing this <laughs> yeah well it sounds like you enjoy it do you have ambitions to do more than what you're currently doing but as communication director you know you have a lot of things with policy and also communicating you know, what's going on in the best way. And, and like you said, doing a lot of research, but do you have anything else like more ambition in, in other areas of politics for yourself, maybe running? So, so I, funny story, I, I did that when I was 20. I ran for county commission when I was, when I was, and I sort of got to go to Don and encouraged by, by Bill and some other folks. One of the best moments of shade that I've ever experienced in my entire life was when uh, after the race, I lost. But I only lost by 150 votes <laughs> and I, I walked into the resident's life office in Davidson. Cause it was, cause this was between my junior and senior year. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to, to one of the employees there and she's like, you know, Sam, you did so much better than I thought you would. Uh, Expectations. That it's all about, but have, having worked with uh, the people who do that, it, uh, I don't think folks understand how hard it is to be an elected official and it, it is not, it's not easy to do it well. It, it really is hard to balance what a lot of these folks are balancing because, you know, it, sure, if you're a senator or a congressman, that's your job. But in Charlotte, where, you know, state reps, state senators, city council, mayor, mm -hmm. you know, they're making low five figures, you have people who are balancing a family, raising money for their campaign, serving in office, and, you know, sometimes like a, a fourth or fifth thing. And right. it's a real juggling act. And it's one of the reasons that uh, 
I know it's an unpopular opinion, but uh, if these folks were paid more, you would have people who who would be a lot better at doing their jobs, and you'd have more people who'd be able to to do it, and and you'd have less influence from lobbyists who can go in there and uh, talk a really good game. And right. uh, yeah, you know, it, it's uh, nobody wants to pay politicians more, but it's <laughs> it's a hill I've died on perennially in my life. Wow. Now, did you? When you were younger, before um, high school, did you see that as a career, or was it some was there something else in your in your mind? Like, hey, I was going to do this. I, I, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be a model. I knew I wasn't going to be a Hollywood actor, and I, I knew I wasn't going to be competitive at sports. I, I was actually really into to physics, and it, at Davidson for the first two years, I was a, a physics major, but. You know, it, it was sort of hard to do both, and neither physics nor political science had a minor. And so, at you know, it's at some point I just I had to choose between the two. And a lot of the time, I wonder what would have happened if I had done physics instead of political science. But I basically had to make a choice, and I I chose political science. But I I still love physics, love you know hearing everything about what's going on in the natural world, and and it's still always amazing to me. Maybe you should do a little physics article about uh, something in soccer and why this happens and how it's able to happen. Maybe we'll have an incredible play and you can break it down, the physics of it. <laughs> or, or you know, we could do the physics of turf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's another turf story. Versus grass. Not getting you to say whether you're going to run for office or anything like that. We won't announce that here. So we'll, we'll leave that for your your future how you're going to decide things. I'd rather see my wife run first. I, I think she'd be much better at it than I am. Now, what do you mind sharing? Like, what is her role? Because I know you, you've spoken lots of times about working with her. So what does she do? Oh, she works for a national environmental organization. She has done a, a, a lot of great work on uh, things like clean transportation. So uh, bus plans, uh, you know, clean energy, gotcha. uh, ele ele electrification, uh, just a really, really impressive human being who I'm continually grateful to be uh, married to and in love with first perfect person to be on your side when you're running the charlotte uh, planning commission <laughs> right <laughs> right some inside yeah, we, tips we we both we both get frustrated at the same things so yeah. <laughs> yeah well looking back at your journey so far what do you think the scariest thing you've done in your career oh the scariest thing I've done in my career uh, that I can talk about uh, was I, I moved to Hawaii out of nowhere in 2014. And mm -hmm. a friend of a friend was basically like, uh, this, this campaign has fired their entire digital staff. Uh, they got rid of their consultant. They just want somebody who can live in Hawaii and be more local and really tell our story. And I, I was like, sign me up <laughs> right I'll travel. And, get me there and so i you know i left a family and my girlfriend and most of my possessions on the mainland and uh, moved out to really i mean you know honolulu hawaii it, it's hard to there aren't that many places in the u.s uh, that that feel more you know international or different than hawaii like maybe miami but mm -hmm. it, it really is a unique culture and there there is so much to learn about hawaii that you know you don't get if you're uh, a visitor and you don't you don't get from popular media it is an incredibly interesting diverse place and 
it, you know, it was, it was the first time that, it, that I was just like, you know, I'm packing off, I'm going 5,000 miles away from where I've lived my entire life. And I'm just going to somehow make a new home here. And isn't Honolulu one of the most densely populated cities in the whole United States? It's it's densely populated. It's one of the most expensive, even though like I thought my rent was, uh, you know, insane when I went there. And of course, the world's completely changed since then. I would kill for the rent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's also I think a lot of people don't know that I lived in the, the Chinatown neighborhood and Honolulu doesn't really have a Chinatown that is tourist focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very local focused. There's a high concentration of homelessness and and it's it is definitely a, a really uh, different place, but um, oh man, the the local food spots, uh, the stuff off the beaten path is just just absolutely amazing. Uh, so you know, if anybody's listening or is a soccer sheet reader, and you're ever going to Hawaii and you need some uh, off the beaten path recommends, hit up my DMs. I you know I have like a little guide I send to people. And yeah, and I, that wasn't on Maui, of course, which has had a lot of destruction. So. Yeah, but it, but you know it, it's such a it's so interconnected that you know a lot of my friends from when I lived in Hawaii or some a couple of friends who have moved to Hawaii since like everybody has somebody in there Ohana who's uh, who has lost everything and you know half of my Instagram right now uh, with all my Hawaii fam is just you know people posting Venmos and and wow. links and it yeah it is it I think it's a lot worse than people realize even though. You know, a death toll over a hundred people. A lot more people have lost everything. So just it, it's it's such a, a compounded tragedy, and, it, and it's it's really hard to comprehend. Very much this, and you talk. I mean, alone from that, but you were talking about that was a a scary moment. It didn't doesn't sound so scary. It seems like you had some some bright spots. I guess just the act of just jumping out there and moving was the scary part, huh? Yeah, because I was. I was in the middle of the Minneapolis airport and I had a job. I was offered a, like I was on the phone with another job. I had applied. I was offered a job. It was, it was going to be a really good job. It was going to, you know, put me closer to, to the person I was dating at the time. And I was on my way to interview for this job in Hawaii. And so, so, you know, I also like, I turned down a job that I had been offered just to interview for this job in Hawaii. Uh And I'm, I'm absolutely glad that I did, but, but it was, it was really scary because I, you know, I didn't know what would happen or, (laughs) you know, I I knew I eventually I'd get a job, but I had no idea what was going to happen or if I was, you know, if I was just flying out to Hawaii for them to look at me and be like, you know, who's this, Who's the six foot six giant who thinks he can uh, talk about <laughs> politics in Hawaii? <laughs> right. And understand our needs. All right. So let's flip it on the other side. What's kind of one moment in your career that you're like, man, I could replay that over and over again. That was just so awesome. Uh, every, every time uh, somebody who I've taught or mentored, when somebody reaches out to me, like one of the kids who I taught and I was doing some tutoring, uh, DMs me on Twitter many years after he was my student. And talks about all the successful stuff that he's doing and how the things that I taught him in terms of like time management and mm-hmm. uh, and being a better student affected his life. I mean, you know, if if a hundred people DM that to me, I could I could die happy. Like I've had conversations with uh, you know parents of of my interns who've 
talked about how much growth that their their kid has had and and all the cool things and and how much they appreciate the opportunity and and that really is the good stuff and if you can if you can find a, a career or a job that that gives you um, moments like those i mean th- that's the kind of stuff that really keeps you going what is something you wish people would ask you when they interview you that you never get the opportunity to say because either time or it's not the the focus or whatever, but these are like, Hey, I have this story, but nobody's asking me. I love asking that question too. <laughs> no, you do. Uh, oh, awesome. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's such a, it's such a good question because uh, you know, you're, you're either going to get something that's on just on the person's mind right then mm-hmm. uh, or, or something that's, always living in their mind rent free and oh um you know i think we don't get to talk enough in society and uh, in in all these interactions about uh, community building and social capital it's it's something that's always been really interested to me Uh, one of the most transformative books that i read when i was a student is called bowling alone Uh, and the the author is you know at the turn of the century is basically talking about how all of the civic organizations that we have in the United States have, you know, traditional organizations like the, the Elks or the Shriners or the mm-hmm. Lions Club were all deteriorating. And, and this is even, you know, this is before the internet's omnipresent. It's, it's before, you know, a lot of changes have sort of exacerbated this. Right. Right. And, and so, but it's still, you know, it's still really interesting today. Robert Putnam, who's the author, you know, wrote a follow-up and he's he's come to Charlotte a couple times because of the city's focus on uh, social capital, upward mobility. Uh, but but really it's uh, it's an interesting conversation. And I, I and I will tie this back to Charlotte FC. Uh, there are not that many spaces in our community uh, these days where you know you can meet a diverse group of people and you can have those interactions. And, you know, one of the hypotheses from bowling alone is that because we don't have these civic organizations and because we don't have these places where people are interacting and coming together, it's, it's much easier for people to be radicalized for there to be a much bigger divide in our politics You're not around it. You don't know that people are different. You don't see that at all, and they're yeah. not. Your, and they're not your friends because you just you just see them. You know, you hear about it, but you're not part of that group. But when you are part of a group that is like that, then you don't think of them as you know the separate area and not understanding them. Yeah, and that and that is one of the things I love the most about Charlotte FC and what the effect that it, it's had on on Charlotte because it really is a place where you know anybody across our community uh, can come and have an experience and meet people uh, from vastly different cultures and and it is you know one of the most international things that we have mm-hmm. uh, in, in our entire community um I, I do think that there's been some criticism of the join the party marketing for the bank i honestly think you know if they go in a different direction uh, so many people are talking about lacking community these days and there is so much community around soccer in charlotte uh, it, it is it's really incredible it's it's one of the things that that i like covering most about it uh, and 
and maybe I'm too much of an optimist here, but I, I really do think that the level of community that we see out of Charlotte FC is is one of the, the biggest positive externalities of the whole thing and, and something that we could do a lot with. Yeah, and it could definitely grow even more than what it is, um, being more mindful uh, rather than the, the organic nature that it seemed to take. Yeah. So back to soccer sheet. What is the idea for the future for that? So you've been doing this now a little over year and a half. What is what is it going to look like two to three years down the road? I, I hope it looks like a, a publication that's uh, covering a, a playoff winning team. Um, I <laughs> you know I I'd love for Soccer Sheet to have a reason to go to the Club World Cup that we're going to have in 2015 or uh, 2025. Right. You know. Honest, honestly, I think that that's a big thing. If if there are more people out there who I can find who want to write for, you know, <laughs> being able to go to the games. Um, <laughs> obviously, I, I think a, a big part of that we really have to think of with sports coverage moving forward uh, is the importance of, of covering women's soccer. It is something that, that I think in, in general we typically fail at pretty badly mm-hmm. uh, but we're going to have uh, you know what how many I, I forget how many years it is but we we're going to have a, a professional women's league coming to charlotte right um above the uslw level and and it's going to be really interesting to see the the level of support that the community gives to that because you know i'm i'm one i'm one person with a laptop and a and a camera and we really do need a commitment from local organizations to, uh, you know, to to cover this team because I I would love like just just imagine what it would be like if uh, you have a local player from from a Charlotte team who's, you know, in the Women's World Cup in four years. Right, right, and that could happen. There's definitely could, a lot of talent yeah. in this area, so, and that's what they tend to do is try to uh, with these local basically teams is pulling from from their areas. I mean, that's kind of how LMLS does it in their academies is they can pull these homegrown people from, from areas. And I know they do end up moving people around, but, you know, the idea is to, to grow the area around you in soccer too as a community before they even get to any kind of professional level. It's stoppage time. First one is you have a must-do personal ritual. Coffee, any type. I so it's it's either black coffee or a latte, and uh, if I'm getting a latte, I usually get it from Central Coffee. Nice, good plug. A favorite unplugged activity. Oh, uh, re- reading is definitely up there, and there are there are way too many unread soccer books on my shelf right now, so I need to really get to it. All right. Well, you'll definitely be learning some more. What is a go-to snack while watching a match? I love cheddar and caramel mixed popcorn. Yeah. I know that, that, that was my, and I, I bring that up because that was my snack while we were getting destroyed by Messi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe I have a different one. No. Uh, what about a component of design impresses you more, interior or exterior? Oh. Uh, don't necessarily think about buildings. Just no, think in no. general design. 
I mean, I, mean, I, I, I think it's got to be exterior for me because you can't lose somebody before they enter. Right. If and it's, you're communications it's, director, so you're putting out that final piece that everybody sees. <laughs> yeah, if if it, if it's your first statement, it's it's got to be right because you only make one first impression. Cool. Do you like uh, you find starting a project or finishing one more gratifying? I have started so many more projects than I finished, <laughs> uh, so finishing has to be more gratifying. All right. What recharges you? Uh, I. I have an amazing group of, of friends and getting to spend time with them is, is what really energizes me. I, I don't know if it recharges me, but it gives me, it might not give me recharge energy exactly, but it, it gives me energy to move forward. Cool. Now, if you were a current player on Charlotte FC, what player would you most be like? Uh, so I've gotten this, I, I've really been blessed with the opportunity to spend a lot of time with a deal and he, Aside from being tall, which, you know, automatic, uh, mm. uh, he is. Uh, you see eye to eye with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's he's uh, he's really contemplative and mature beyond his years. And his, uh, you know, I, I just remember when I played soccer, like, uh, you know, I was I was pretty much in the center back position. I was a stopper, a sweeper, and I I had a big foot and loved making big clears. And so, so I, you know, I would hope it would be uh, a deal, but, but he might, he might be a little cooler than I am. So we'll see. <laughs> awesome. Sam, thanks a lot for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate the time, Nick. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Sam today. He is a humble, clever man that is a genuine community leader that loves football and is able to share and connect both in his work at the soccer sheet and QC Nerve. Also, thanks again for listening to the pod. I'm sure you're just as excited as I am to get back to the action and see the urgency of a crown squad in these last 11 matches striving for a playoff berth. It looks like seven wins is the magic number and hoping we get one of them today on my birthday versus the reigning MLS Cup champs, LAFC. Enjoy the match. The Charlotte FC podcast is hosted and produced by me, Nick Finelli. Audio editing and mixing by Eli Finelli. We really appreciate everyone who listens to our podcast. Please make sure you follow the podcast so you get it in your favorite platform's feed. We are on Twitter and Instagram at CLTFC Podcast, and you can visit our webpage to listen and learn more at charlottefcpodcast.com.